The Green Sundays uh, are a time in the uh, liturgical year when uh, preaching can be used for the purposes of uh, education. And uh, so I thought I'd today give you the Ten Commandments 101. Since we don't read them very often, uh, they used to be read more often in, in, in Episcopal churches because they were at the beginning of the Eucharistic liturgy. They still are. You can use them in the penitential order if you wish to, to do that and read out the Ten Commandments. A lot of a Anglican churches in England have the Ten Commandments on either side uh, as you come into the sanctuary, the altar, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. When I was first uh, about ready to go to seminary, I heard a sermon at Grace Cathedral by a visiting canon, Freddie Hood, from St. Paul's Cathedral in uh, London. And Freddie Hood had one of those accents that he'd learned from his housemaster in public school, so he pronounced his name Freddie Hood. The... Uh, so in the sermon, he talked about the fact that most churches have the Ten Commandments on either side of the entrance to the sanctuary. And he said one day, though, he was touring churches in the wilds of equatorial Sussex. And he walked into an Anglican church, and instead of the Ten Commandments, they had the table of kindred and affinity. And in the, in the 1662 prayer book, the table of kindred and affinity is the table that tells you who the degrees you can't who you can't marry, so that it's not you know, and in the 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 the, the uh, table there was a a line that said a man may not marry his grandmother, <laughs> and so some acolyte many years before had written underneath. This, Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. <laughs> Which is what you would say or sing in response to the Ten Commandments. So you'd say a Ten Commandment and everybody would sing or say this. So, you know, I, don't, I doubt there are any other places where the table of kindred and affinity is in the church publicly displayed. But there it is. If you can get your hands on the 1662 prayer book, you'll be able to read the table of kindred and affinity and amuse yourself. Briefly, the Ten Commandments appear two places in the Hebrew Bible. In Exodus 20, which we read from today, and it's the most familiar, and also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And they're pretty much the same, although there are some differences. In various Christian denominations, there are issues about uh, the numbering of the Ten Commandments. So Roman Catholics and Lutherans number them in a way differently from Reformed Christians, Anglicans, and the Eastern Orthodox. It's largely the, it's the same, but some, some divide certain commandments into two, and some merge two commandments into one, so you'll get ten. But uh, it's just worded differently as the result of that and so forth. There are lots of people who would get all twisted up about that, or used to anyway, and break fellowship with people who numbered the commandments differently. You know, that's how it works sometimes. 
when I thought about writing this, I thought uh, it might be interesting to know. When I was in seminary, uh, when we took uh, Old Testament, most of the scholarship su suggested that the great tradition with a capital T, which said that Moses wrote the Ten Commandments, was considered, no, it is not, it is not so. And now there's more scholarship that's come back that said, well, there's some tincture of maybe of mosaic authorship in the Ten Commandments. The question is the dating and a variety of other things like that. But it certainly comes from that uh, tradition. The Ten Commandments are not the only holiness codes or commandments that existed in the ancient Near East. And the people of Israel lived among a variety of groups who had these codes. One of them was the Hittites. And the Hittites had uh, rules about how to conduct yourself uh, in, in the community and what you needed to do. The uniqueness of the Ten Commandments is that the Hittite commandments or other ones have, are written in this fashion. Um, if you do this, and this is both affirmative and not affirmative, if you do this, these will be the consequences. So in a positive sense, there'll be good consequences if you do the right thing. And in negative consequences, it means here's what the, the penalty is for doing the wrong thing. But the Ten Commandments say thou, thou shall and thou shall not. So people who joke about this and say, well, the Ten Commandments are not the Ten Suggestions, uh, they're right in all probability. So that's the, that's the true thing about that. So um, it's sort of like trains in Europe. I was on a train in Italy the last time, and there was a sign that said, um, it is unwise to stick your head out the window of the train while it's moving. In Germany... There are signs in the trains that say, it is forbidden to put your head out the window while the train is moving. So it's a difference in the Mediterranean mindset versus the Teutonic way of approaching rules. Just an interesting thing. And some of that is the way in which we do that. When I, when I preach on the, on the story of Abraham and Isaac, uh, one of the things that I always say is that uh, God works through the manners, morals, and customs of people. So when you see cultural change and you see things, it isn't always done in this dramatic fashion where there's some vast re revelatory experience that works instant change. So when I was uh, in seminary and taught that it was the practice in Canaanite religion, Abraham's religion, that they sacrifice their firstborn sons. Well, how do we know? Well, we know because we found the graves with the little boys in them. And right around the time of Abraham in chronology, we began to see in the archaeology this practice disappear because the graves, there weren't any more graves in these, sac in these places. So there must have been a change. So the thing I've always thought about was, it's not in the Bible, what happened when Abraham came back down the mountain with Isaac and walked into the tents? 
what did his, the other elders say? Oh, Abraham, I see you've still got Isaac with you. Yes. How come? Because God said I didn't have to kill Isaac. And besides, why, do, why should we believe in a God who would require us to kill our firstborn sons? Listen, Abraham, that's all well and good, but the fact of the matter is if you don't do this, the crops are going to fail, the lambs won't drop, we'll have a very, very rough year. Well, he didn't do it. And one would hope because of his influence, people began to say, this practice doesn't make any sense, we're not going to do it anymore. So in one sense, we know that the Ten Commandments have something to do with the lived experience of the people of Israel. How should we conduct ourselves together? And what is it that we should do as we live? We as Christian people must always understand that the Ten Commandments cannot be understood and interpreted by us in the absence of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Because it is a corrective that suggests that instead of thinking uh, about God in some way being um, concerned to punish us or jealous for his own glorification, that we believe in a God whose operative principle is the law of love. And that by extension, since we understand the Savior's teaching to be part of the template that we place over our own spiritual life and development, that we are to practice that with one another. The Ten Commandments begin to come into uh, frequent use in Christianity at the time of St. Augustine, which would be in the 400s CE. And Augustine began to use, use them, and he also began to use them in his catechesis, in his teaching about what Christians believe and where it comes from. So we need to say something about this. By the time we get to the uh, 1662 prayer book in England or the 1928 prayer book in the United States, which is a revision of 1662, 1892, you know, so on. Uh, the Ten Commandments are in, central in the worship of the church and in the catechism. So in the 28 prayer book, if you read the catechism, it's all about learning the Ten Commandments and learning how to live by the Ten Commandments. And then some things about the Nicene Creed and so forth, but it's mainly about the Ten Commandments. In our present prayer book, the Ten Commandments do not have the central place in the catechism that they did. They're listed and described and defined, but they are not the center. And I need to tell you, you can probably guess this, the Ten Commandments is hardly a complete list. There's a lot of stuff left out. So when we say, uh, well... Uh, how, do we, how do we understand the stuff that's left out? Or what is, um, you know, or why should, we, why should we use something that was created by uh, 
ancient nomads in the desert about how they were to conduct their lives. Well, none of the things that are forbidden in the Ten Commandments or talked about have gone out of style. You know? Murder, stealing, adultery, lying, coveting. They're as present now as they ever have been. Right? You know, I've been a pastor for a while, and in, in the Episcopal Church, particularly in the, in the side of the Episcopal Church I'm in, uh, we, we believe that um, in the sacrament of penance, confession. So I've talked about this in Christian, you know, Episcopalian 101 classes over the years and so forth. And invariably, somebody will raise their hand every once in a while and say, you know, I, I don't know how to make a confession, number one. I'd have to learn how to do that. But secondly, I don't know what I conf- would confess. I haven't done anything. My teacher, Urban Holmes, said to us in pastoral theology at Mishota House, he said, most people believe if they haven't murdered anybody, they haven't committed adultery, they haven't stolen anything, or they haven't cursed God, they're in the clear. Well, what about hardness of heart? What about the inability to forgive? What about uh, any number of things that are serious spiritual matters that need to be confronted? So they're not mentioned explicitly in the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments are helpful in understanding the way in which people have said they should conduct themselves with one another in community for a long, long time. So I think they have some utility even today and they're important i'm not in favor of putting them on the in the front of a courthouse however do that somewhere else when i prepared this sermon i read it in a commentary about the 10 commandments uh, maybe this is the most useful line to understand them God has given us the Ten Commandments not to burden us with oppressive rules and laws in order to earn God's love, but as a sure way to demonstrate our gratefulness for the God who has already chosen, loved, and saved us. And so that's something that can give us some some sort of freedom and sense of liberation, that God's ability to unconditionally love, accept, and forgive us is a a wonderful thing. And so all the laws that we talk about, including what Paul talked about in Philippians today, he practiced the Jewish law in every way. He dotted every I and crossed every T. And he said, before God's righteousness, blameless. He wasn't afraid that he was going to go to hell. He had done everything that he was supposed to do. But he said, you know, because of Jesus Christ, my understanding of that is, has been transformed. And that will happen to you too if, if you let Jesus into your heart. So this week, take a look at the Ten Commandments and see what you think. Amen.